Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friendly Ties. I'm here today with my friends Jonathan and Anastasia, and we are here to talk about the board game Cape May, not the place in New Jersey, but the board game. Uh, although maybe we should Aren't go they on a one in the trip same. Sometime. Like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that would be really just a wonderful idea, right? We change this into a travel channel. Um, <laughs> Cape May is a 2021 release by Thunderworks, and uh, it's a game where you uh, wander around this board, purchasing property. Um, and then kind of upgrading that property throughout the course of the game. Uh, meanwhile, viewing birds and uh, teleporting around with special action cards. Uh, <laughs> and then at the end, uh, competing for uh, area control, of these, these various um, areas of this, of this quaint coastal town. Uh, we played this game because, uh, Anastasia, you picked it up. So why don't you kick us off today? Yeah, I suggested this game for us for two reasons. One is, yes, I picked up a cheap copy and I, as I often do, want to see if I like a game or if I want to let that copy go. But the other reason is I was really attracted to the theme of this game. I thought, I looked at it, this is totally one of those like judge a box by its cover kind of situation. I was like, ooh, town historic houses or I guess they're not historic if you're actually building them at the time but whatever <laughs> old houses history small town landmarks I was I was in I was in I love that and I was like this looks super fun so we played this one a few times I've actually only played this one once Anastasia you played it the most out of all of us I think right yeah we played it once at the three of us Nick and I played it once two player and then we played both of those games on tabletop simulator and because i actually did own a copy and it's got these really cool like little chunky pieces minis little houses kind of things i wanted to play it once in person so i did that with a, a friend of mine last week the plastic houses are very pretty they are very pretty so one thing that really jumped out to me for this game uh first of all was the board uh, the look of it overall because you've got just these squirrely little paths with arrows on them all over the place. And, you know, the base thing that you're doing in this game is moving around a single pawn down these roads. And you're uh, playing cards to do that. And we'll talk about that in more detail later on. But really, the first thing that jumped out to me was was the look of it. Like, I, I couldn't remember seeing a game that looked exactly like that. It was almost kind of like a maze with just a bunch of empty lots where you're hopefully going to be investing in the town, right? Right, right. I mean, I've seen some criticism online and, and I'm going to say criticism lightly because I, I've actually, my opinion on this has changed playing this game, but I've seen some commentary that this game is sort of Monopoly Plus, right? It's sort of like you are wandering around streets, paying to build on plots of land and placing your houses down on them, essentially. And, you know, when I first read that, I thought, oh, you know, I don't know. I actually love Monopoly, so I don't know why I thought that was a bad thing because I think Monopoly is a great game. But, you know, I understand that there is a certain hesitation stigma. when you... Stigma. Yes, thank you. But as I played it, and as I played it with a friend of mine who isn't a big gamer, the Monopoly comparison actually worked beautifully. Really helped to explain the game, really helped to get the game. And honestly kind of is monopoly plus like in a great way like you do you get to wander around and build things and it is actually better in a lot of ways than just the kind of capitalistic greed fest that monopoly is but we could talk about that more yeah it's interesting so one thing that jumps out about monopoly and you know a lot of very older games is the whole idea of roll and move that you would roll dice and then move that number of spaces and then do whatever you do when you get there and this game doesn't use roll and move um it uses card play but we actually read a designer diary for this anastasia you sent this one out and it was really fascinating and one thing that was mentioned is that early on i think this was actually a roll and move game and they moved into a more interesting card play movement system and uh what do you think about that one i think the card play system for movement is really elegant and and super interesting so just so everyone who's listening knows basically you have the cards one through seven and if you want to move on your turn you play one of those cards and move that number of spaces uh the ones and sevens cost more money and the ones in the middle like three fours and fives are, are free to play um that just tells you how many spaces you can move 
and you could spend an action to pick up all your cards. But this is a really neat mechanic because you're thinking about, oh, I want to move here to buy this. And then you're moving kind of like kitty corner around a block to maybe interact with a space that is adjacent or in the same neighborhood block. Uh, and all of a sudden, these like numbers one through seven kind of matter. It's it's instead of like a roll and move, it's a choose and move with with those limitations. <laughs> and uh, it's actually it's it's cleverly implemented, I think. I found that I frequently was really upset with previous me. Like I'm sitting there look, thinking about my turn <laughs> and I was like, all right, I just have to move three. I already used my three. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's fun because it, yeah, well, you know, I've talked about this before. Concordia is one of my favorite games of all time. And I love that idea of, you know, select one card and play it. And, and it really reminds me of that. Obviously all you're doing is moving, but the way you're thinking about what can I do and having this plethora of options to choose from that, that are, you know, limited and by the, the nature of the cards right? and the sequencing. But what it also does is really cool. And Nick, you actually did this or attempted to do this. And there's some reasons why you weren't able to that were completely out of your control. But Nick in our first game attempted to play like his own mini game where he never picked his cards back up. He wanted to play the whole game. I'm talking for you, Nick, but you wanted to play the whole game, basically not, not picking up your cards. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I nearly pulled it off. The The way that you can do that is that there are ways to move that don't include using those one through seven cards. They're kind of the special, are they called action cards or, or do they have a different name? They're called activity cards. Activity. That, that's that's what does that. But before we jump into those, I just, I wanted to point out that what I realized when you were doing that, Nick, is that this game does something very unique, at least in my opinion. So this is this is a... It's not a lightweight game. This is like a medium, a medium lightweight game. Wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah. Like it's a step above Ticket to Ride, but it's not, it's not crazy heavy. Like this is a great game for your friends or family that like enjoys a, like a game that like asks them to do more stuff than, you know, Ticket to Ride, but not so much that they're like, it's going to be an hour to each and take three hours to play or anything like that. So it just falls in that, in that like kind of, perfect kind of midweight game and yet one of the cool things about it is that if you are playing this game and say you're a nick who is obviously very good at a lot heavier games than this you can kind of vary your experiences with it so you could play it with someone who's like just playing it very straight and then if maybe you're a gamer who likes to have your experience, you could sit there and be like, I'm going to play my own mini game, trying to play my cards in a certain order, or do something. And I just think that that's really cool and not not something that I see happen a lot in games like that. You mentioned though something in there that that to me is one of the biggest points about this game or biggest thing that I think about with this game is that, you know, you called it like light medium or, or medium on that side more than Ticket to Ride. And I... Uh, I'm generally a gamer who, as you just pointed out, prefer I prefer heavier games for the most part. So I know that I'm not the target audience for this kind of game, but I really like for a game to um, be very honest or accurate for what it's supposed to be. And one of the things with this game is that I actually wish it was a bit lighter. I wish that that some of the the edges were just sanded down a little bit more, uh, and so that I could have. Um, you know, we've, we've even like alluded to this earlier, like almost has this mass market game feel to it. It's not, it's not a mass market game, but, uh, I, I almost wish it like approached that more, uh, because then it, I, I like the idea of it being this sort of like transition or, or gateway game, you know, whatever title you want to call those kinds of things. Um, and it's, 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 it's a little chunkier than that. You're exactly right. Anastasia. We haven't really gone into much of the game, and I think at, at a very, very high level, uh, leading off from what you said, it's good for people to know that this game has, uh, in addition to the card play mechanic we talked about, it's got majorities uh, for multiple areas on the game that you're thinking about. It has multiple types of buildings that you can put down that generate income that will activate at certain times throughout the game. Certain buildings will give you ongoing upgrades, whereas other ones will give you a varying number of points based off of your efficiency and your proximity to the beach. Uh, there's bird tokens that you can use. There's teleportation uh, activity cards that you can <laughs> use as well. Uh, on top of that, there are hidden bonuses that everybody has at the very beginning of the game that you're going to be considering. And there's an event deck that is drawn in most turns of the game. I just wanted to rattle all those off so that people have an idea of maybe more of what Nick's talking about, where like, at its core, this does feel like it's, you know, on the lighter end, maybe almost mass market, but 
with all of those things on top of it, maybe that does kind of nudge it out of there. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think it does. And I, I also think we should step back and again, from like a high level, just like integrate this into the theme, right? Because one of the great things about this game is how deeply integrated it is with its theme. So this is, as John already said, uh, you know, it's set in Cape May, New Jersey, and it's about this town. It Technically, you're playing one year in the town. You go through like four seasons. It yeah. doesn't have a huge impact, but you're playing one year in the town. And yet there's these event cards that come out basically every month, if you will. And a month is essentially one round. And those event cards each represent a historic event that happened over several decades in the late 1800s in Cape May. And each one is kind of tied to that. And that's really cool. So you really do get this sense of, if you're reading that and kind of going into that, that you are kind of building up this town. And then the map that John was talking about is broken up into four sections that are that start at the beach. You know, it's a beach town. And it's somewhat important because... If you build closer to the beach, it costs more. But of course, that's where tourism was. And so you get greater income and you get more points. But then if you build towards the back, it gets a lot cheaper. And then they've done this kind of cool thing. It's very, very tightly, uh, nicely balanced, depending on how you feel about area majorities. But then if you have the person who has the most in the back, gets more points for the majorities and the person in the front. So that kind of gives you this sense of like, how all of those mechanics that John listed out are kind of tied <laughs> into the the theme and the and the game that's kind of presented here. Yeah, I mean, one thing that um, really came through from the designer diary that we all read was that this game was designed uh, location first, theme first. Like, this is not a Pacedon theme by any means. And I don't want to just speak for the designer because I read their designer diary, but... but we'll that put a link to that in the description, too. Yeah, yeah, it was a out. great read, honestly. And um, when I first read the rules to this, when I was getting ready to, to teach it so that we could all play, the event deck jumped out to me as one of my biggest concerns about the game uh, because this is obviously a Euro-style game. And generally, event decks and Euro games don't mix that well, in my opinion. Um, the randomness of flipping over a card and seeing what happens uh, frequently, I think, doesn't work out very well in Euro games. But I, uh, for me personally, I was pleasantly surprised by the event mechanic, uh, mostly because the events were just gentle nudges. Uh, in a lot of games with event decks, they can really upend the entire play experience. Like oftentimes events can be really wacky in generic games with events. But this one, in general, it seemed like it would just give some people some money, some people more than others, or cost some people a low amount of money, some people maybe more than others. It almost seemed like it was this tiny little tactical nudge to kind of get you off of your strategic position. I think you have to really enjoy the headline theme aspect of it, learning that the ghost is here and the fire is here and it's mosquito season now. Um, that has to be a fun part of the game for you. Uh, otherwise you'll feel like I did, which is that the event deck is toothless. I think it, it just is not, it's not very impactful to the mechanics of the game. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I felt like we could have played without it and we would have played exactly the same game. But if you like that story, um, it does instill some genuine history uh, into the game. Yeah, because there's flavor yeah. text on every one. And every card is like a newspaper bulletin, uh, like a headline. And yeah. um, and we weren't reading the flavor text. I kind of wish I had. I feel like I might, maybe would have pulled me into it uh, even more seeing the you know the specific uh uh historical notes about it honestly i we read the designer diary afterwards and i gained a lot more respect for the event deck and what it was really trying to do trying to like pull you into the theme of the game um versus you know the mechanical impact on your your purse and i think that goes back to what we've been talking about kind of where this falls into the lighter medium weight kind of the audience that this game is is really going to be for like this is a game that I will probably hold on to um, because I, I really, I like, I enjoyed this game and I enjoyed this game exactly for what it is. And uh, there are a number of flaws. It's, it's a very interesting game because it, it also comes with a, a lot of discussion kind of afterwards about the game. And, and Nick already kind of mentioned some of the rougher edges and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I, I, I really enjoy it for exactly what it is, which is if you're going to get this game out with some friends, probably, aren't 
you know, su- super heavy gamers. We're going to get this out and you're going to have a lovely time reading that flavor text. When I played with my friend, you know, we don't play a ton of games together, but we were playing it in the backyard and we were, you know, putting the pieces out and reading the flavor text. And it was just, it was just fun. It was just a very wonderful, uh, you know, playthrough experience. And it was great because it's a Euro. I don't, I don't have a lot of opportunities to play Euros with my friends who aren't super deep into board gaming because a lot of Euros are, you got to really like games to like kind of <laughs> to pull out some of the drier Euros that I love to play or the ones that are very heavy. So I think there's something really wonderful about that integration, but you do kind of have to play that way. You know, this is not typically how the three of us play. You know, we play a game and we kind of, you know, we play them faster. We don't, we don't tend not to read the flavor text, that type of stuff, but for like a social evening uh, with the right crowd, I think that this could, is really fun because of those additional elements. If you like history, if you like those kind of things, it's 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 unique and it's cool. You mentioned playing it with your friends, and actually, the the kind of like the person that I want to play this most with is um, my dad and my stepmom. So my dad is a heavy gamer, uh, just like I am. So we're, we're all they're all they're all genetic. The the board games. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a board game aunt, dynasty over there. Just right. so everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my stepmom is not is not really a board game player, and she plays because she she like wants to learn and um, you know that all, all of that stuff. Uh, but I, what I like is that I could put this table and I'm very confident that I could show her how to play and she would have a fun time because it's very cute. Um, it's, it's hard to complete. You, you can't just completely shoot yourself in the foot in this game. As long as you're doing something, you're making forward progress, but there's at least enough there to like bite onto that. My dad is going to be thinking about something during the course of the game. And that's going to be engaging for him as well. So I, I think that it's, it's cool and that it, it, it manages to bridge that, uh, well, which is why I think as like a, as like a gateway kind of piece is, is really where it shines the most. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That ability to kind of have enough going on, you know, for someone like your dad. And that's actually one of the things that I found really interesting about this play that I, I had with my uh, friend in person is, is that we, so we kind of talked about this a little bit. There's these activity cards in the game and I'm not going to lie when I was teaching, uh, then the game, I I totally called them chance cards, and they are not, they're <laughs> not chance cards. But I was really leaning into the monopoly. This game teaches really fast, and and it's 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 pretty easy to pick up. But there are several mechanics going on, so it kind of helped to to, to delineate them in that way. But these cards are essentially I don't want to say they break the game, but they 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 add a lot of variety. They're very powerful. We said you play over a year. You're gonna have income phases at three different points in that year and that's when you're going to get money back for all of the commercial buildings that you've built and you're also going to get two of these cards and you also start with two of these cards so you and you can draw more and these cards let you either build for cheaper they let you teleport like we keep saying to different you know, kind of move around they, they're they're very there's a lot of variety with them and I think they're super fun because they add a lot of different ways you can play but the reason I'm bringing it up right now is actually my friend kept drawing activity cards to the point where I was like, oh my God, are they going to tank their game? Because, you know, it's a Euro. you got to be efficient about your actions, right? Right. And they kept drawing them. And then the last couple of rounds, they just played activity cards because uh, playing an activity card is an action. And they built so much stuff. Then they were moving around and they were doing stuff. And it was really, really cool to see because they played the game completely different than me. I was playing much more straight. I was moving around using my movement cards and just playing activity card here and there. And they must have played like 12 activity cards by the end. And and they only lost by like seven points or something. So I just want to point these out that these these cards let you do a lot, have a lot of fun, and they, they do change up the game quite a bit. They're also flexible, right? Because every single one of these cards gives you two options when you play them and right. uh, both of them are usually good and uh, well I say that they're they're always good but you know conditionally better in certain situations than others but it means when you have a bunch of these in your hand you can really be flexible with how you stitch them together but also I found them a bit dizzying like when I had like five or six of them in my hand trying to be like okay I'm going to do the top option on this one or the bottom option on this one before I do the top 
wait, no, the top of that one. And then I looked over and then Nick had like 10 of these things. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I <Yeah>. couldn't even <laughs> imagine trying to parse a hand that big of these cards because there's just so many good things on them. Every card is, every uh, activity card is excellent. Yeah, they, I mean, they open your options up immensely. Um, I actually kind of wish that they were a little harder to come by because they are so bombastic in what they do, which is cool. It's exciting, right, as a player. And, like, you know, your friend that popped off or, or me in the first game that we played, like, it is pretty sweet at the end where you're like, haha, I've done this and this and this and this. Um, but, like I said, I really like the movement mechanic in this game. And I, I like I like that that... that tension is there and Anastasia I know you said that you like you enjoyed the fact that I like tried to avoid using the movement mechanic but because I think that that tension is creative um, I wish that it was required essentially right like you, you can't avoid having that be a really important part of the game um, so that's my only criticism for the activity cards they are it is cool to look at them and be like I could do this and this and ha 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 like all of a sudden <laughs> something a very simple game became like oh, I could do this like crazy sequence of actions that no one saw coming yeah there were a few turns where i was just like wait 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 what are you doing <laughs> like, i teleport <laughs> over I here like, wherever now i, I can build diagonally and then i go over there and i build <laughs> yeah. this at a huge discount and you're just like oh my god and then it's my turn and i'm like i uh move and i build once and then i draw a card <laughs> i am done i feel lame okay <laughs> and you know speaking of you know action efficiency um uh, we've alluded to the fact that takes place over the course of a year there's 12 months and in each month everybody takes one turn where you have three actions all of that is essentially a long way of saying you take 36 actions over the course of this game so again hearkening back to what anastasia what you were saying earlier like you can play this just willy-nilly just you know play some cards pull them back up play some cards pull them back up have fun traipsing around town or you could squeeze every last piece of Eurowe efficiency uh you know blood out of every single action that you have and i remember in our play i believe i took my cards up twice and the second time i took them up oh i felt so bad it's like that wasted action <laughs> what am i 36 I, I messed up i messed up like i wasn't like actually upset with myself but i felt like you know i should have done this better i should have planned better i remember at one point anastasia you were just like i know what i'm doing for my next three rounds of the game with like nine out of your 36 <laughs> actions and i just was like flabbergasted i was like i'm trying to figure out what i'm doing for my next action <laughs> i think there is a good amount of of ap possibility analysis paralysis possibility here and and the ability to get a little too caught up in your plan and that's actually where you know the event deck does help because you're going to draw one of those events you know you're going to draw 12 events over the course of the game and they do take, you know, like John said, they have little bits. They don't have a lot of teeth, like Nick said, but they do they do cause enough kind of randomness that like you can't perfectly plan. And I did in our first game. In fact, actually, I think I've won every game of this that I played. No wonder I like it. False. Um, <laughs> False. I beat you the second time we played. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also that like, in that game you oh, I blocked that from my memory. You had this plan and I kicked your plan in the kneecaps and you were very angry with me. I was... <laughs> <laughs> well, actually we should talk about that. So so the, the randomness can kind of get in your way a little bit if you're having a perfect plan. But I will admit that it, it is possible knowing, you know, when the income comes and you sort of have a set amount of income and the events are a little bit toothless that you can you can do quite a bit of like, I'm going to do this and this and this, but there is, there can be some conflict over the spots, right? So only one person can build in each plot, if you will. And, you know, we should talk about that a little bit, that there's, there's a map for two to three, actually, is it two to three players is one side of the map? What, what is it? I think it's two and three to four. Two and then three to four. But I mean, in our experience, actually we didn't run into each other a lot in our three player game. And then you and Nick and I played, we ran into each other a little bit and yes, Nick screwed up my plans, but I haven't felt like again, that, that I actually don't feel like any part of this game is overly gets in your way, whether it's the event cards or even the map. I don't feel like there's a lot of conflict there. Um, but I think Nick, you mentioned you, you kind of wish there was more kind of competition for the spot. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I, I think that uh, it'd be neat if it was a little bit tighter, if it was a little bit more of a race to get to the spots. Um, that one time where I got in Anastasia's way was because she actually ended up 
choosing a plan for something that I was already thinking of doing. And then I said, oh, okay, I just need to make sure I execute this quickly because I can see what she's angling for. So it, it just so happened that our plans kind of like coincided. Um, and there's generally just enough options that if someone like takes your specific plan, like you can go somewhere else and do something else. It's really not too hard. And I, I, I would like it if it was a little bit uh, tighter in terms of the space that was available. So I think I'm going to lead us into a slightly different but adjacent topic, and that is the area majorities that are part of this game. Um, as we've mentioned a couple times, there's four different zones, and once the game is over, you count up the number of buildings that each person has built in each zone. doesn't matter what type of building it is. It could be a Victorian or a, a commercial uh, building, and then whoever has the most buildings gets the most points, and then it goes down from there. And the farther the zone is away from the shore the more points you get, um, which is an interesting little uh, uh, twist that I did not see coming. I only noticed it halfway through our first game. And the big reason I wanted to bring up majorities is because this is probably... Actually, no, I take it back. This is definitely my least favorite part of the game. And I quite enjoyed this game uh, overall. But I have a bit of a personal uh, pet peeve about games that don't really feel like area majority games that have pretty heavy-hitting area majority aspects. And to me, you know, when I'm playing this game, I feel like it's got the puzzle of the movement cards of, and the activity cards, trying to piece that together, moving around the map. But then once the game asks me to start counting the number of buildings of mine and buildings of my opponents in each section that I'm vying for over and over again, like on every one of my turns, that starts to get a little bit fatiguing. And I have this problem with many games that are like this. Uh, like if a game is a pure area majority game, then that's fine. But I felt like there's a lot of points to be made in Cape May for being in the majority. And I felt like I was a little annoyed that I felt like I needed to keep counting those when I just kind of wanted to focus on other things. I remember the first game, like well, my only play, I've only played it the one time. Uh, I really tried to focus on those and I came in first for one and second for another one and, and, la and not scoring in either of the other two. And then Anastasia won... You, you got more points than any of us did. And then you just said, oh, I never paid attention to the area majorities at all. <laughs> and that made me feel that's really how, silly. That Well, I think that's because I can be like part of my issue with area majorities is yours is I don't like having to constantly count. We, we all played uh, Colbert in a, a month or two ago. And, you know, that constantly having to keep track of the majorities because so much of that scoring is majorities. And I was just like, I, I hate this. Yeah. So the fact that it's only one portion of a way that you score points, you score points for that, but you also score points for the number of Victorians you built, the number of Victorians you've turned into landmarks, your end game scoring points, your birds. Like it's one of, you know, there's uh, the other, it's like one of six different ways that you score. So for me, I was like, well, we'll see what happens. Like, it's too much effort for me to to keep track of that. And 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 in a way, like, I agree with you, John, but in another way, like, these have actually grown on me more in this game. I agree with you in that I'm never, I'm, I'm generally not a big fan of area majorities either. But in this game, because they're flipped like that, the fact that you get more points for building at the back of town than you do for the front, I actually feel like you really need it. You need that incentive because otherwise everyone would just go clamor to the beach, build there, and then there would be no reason to build at the back of town unless you had like end game bonus cards that rewarded that. And then you'd be at a disadvantage like if someone had cards that reward the sand. You know, it's just, to me, it's like, it's just like a little extra incentive because it's also not a huge amount of points. Like the points that I think mm. you get for being the area majority at the back of town is like eight and being the area majority at the front of town is like two. Now that's, I'm using the two player uh, game uh, as from a, me from memory here. So it, it and in, in a three and four, it's, you know, first person gets this and second more. person yeah. gets, yeah. But I guess I just didn't feel like the swing on that is so huge when you're talking scores that are, you know, easily, I don't remember what the scores were in our game. But I'm pretty sure they've got they go into the hundreds. So like I don't know that like that one piece is you know is so crazy. I just want to be crystal clear for everyone that the farther the buildings are away from the water, the less points they are worth by themselves. Uh, I, I right. know we've mentioned that once or twice, but I feel like it's it's really important to hammer this idea home that the majorities are 
more impactful where the buildings individually are worth way less point. Right. Which, right. which segues into exactly what I don't like about the area majorities. It <laughs> is, I, I think that this idea of incentivizing the back row or the gravel that the, the, the cheaper less point buildings um, by giving a larger area majority creates uh what I don't like as a design mechanic in the game. So it's something there's this concept called the Penrose stairs kind of, or sometimes called the Escher stairs where it's like, you're never going up, right? If you were like walking around these stairs, you're just like, there's, it's a, it's a optical illusion essentially, and you can never ascend. And so I feel like the way the points are incentivized in this game is exactly that there. If, if I'm incentivized to do this in the back and this in the front, and they're just kind of different versions of the same coin, then like, I don't care where I build. And I would rather that the game says, yeah, rush the beachfront property. Like it, there's, there's a land rush, like go and grab it, fight for it. And if it's too powerful, you, from a design perspective, I think could have tuned it down by just making the beach prop beachfront property more expensive. Um, and so I don't like that the points, it feels like it doesn't matter where I build. And for a game where the most of what you're doing is moving around and, building in places um i i thought that was a really disappointing result just to be crystal clear again buildings are more expensive the closer you get to the beach but you know obviously those numbers could have been tweaked even more right right i mean i hear you nick i do i just i think that when you do that you end up creating one path to play the game and i think that what this does at least in my opinion is create multiple paths. I think there's a very, there's viable strategies to just building, staying entirely away from the sand. I mean, I think then most of the games I played, I've been like, mm, the sand's, I like buying things cheap. The sand is too expensive. <laughs> so I'm going to stay towards the back. And then that's really helped me to get more points, you know, to compensate for the fact that my Victorians in the back of town are not nearly as valuable as my Victorians at the front of town. But, but I, but I do hear you. To expand the metaphor, multiple passes fine. But what I feel like is it just generates an open field, do whatever. And then like, what does mm. it matter? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that actually brings me to one of my larger critiques of the game, which is actually the money, right? So we haven't really talked about this yet, but there are two types technically four but let's let's just start with two there are two major types of buildings there's commercial buildings and then there's victorians and then in both cases you build sort of a base level and then you can upgrade them so the houses start at, actually i think it's a cottage right it's a you start yeah. by building a cottage and then you sorry i'm calling it victorian sorry you start by building a cottage and then you can upgrade it to victorian which is a cute little cardboard to uh to the 3d piece and then you can basically put a, a fence around it, a little base and that turns it into a landmark so we go cottage victorian landmark and each of those upgrades costs money and and the first two give you more income and then with the shops the commercial buildings they start as shops and they give you the most income obviously because they're shops and then you can upgrade them into something else they're just called businesses, right? Shops businesses. and businesses. Shops and then businesses. You upgrade them into businesses. And those give you even more income. And those businesses also give you another like card, basically a, a, an advantage to pick up another type of card that will give you either an end game, another end game goal or kind of an ongoing effect. So the thing about this though is that you are incentivized to build businesses early in the game so you can make more income at each of those income phases. But then as you get to the end of the game, you don't get any points at the end of the game for money and you don't get any points at the end of the game for income. And that means that the last three rounds, your last nine actions, there's really no point to build businesses other than for majorities or for end game goals or otherwise. And I, I really don't like that. I don't like any games where they just like take away something valuable that you're doing. Cause like, I would love to play this game and just be like a crazy shopkeeper and be like, what if I don't build any landmarks and I just built, you know, I don't <laughs> build any Victorians. Like, I, I just think that there's some variants that do reward that I've talked about, like rewarding that. I'm sure this will be ongoing discussion, but like, I don't know. I'm curious what you guys think. I just, I find it a, to be a big bummer that you're not, there's no benefit at the end 
Yeah, I'd agree. I, I remember when I played the one time and I realized in, you know, around the 10th round and I built something and I realized, oh, there's no reason for me to track the income benefit of this, I guess. And then I looked at the yeah. rule book just to double check because it seemed a little weird to like get income, but but who cares? You're not going to be gaining income again. Um, that That did seem a little strange to me. I agree. Yeah, it's very much build businesses early, build residences mid-game and later. Um, I think that problem could be solved if you were allowed to just like landmark businesses in this game. But I, I have to assume that there's something about like what constitutes as a landmark in Cape May. And that I think <laughs> that there's like a thematic reason that it's like that yeah. uh, rather than sort of like allowing businesses to be that. Um, Which is kind of nuts when you think about it, just to go on an <laughs> aside, because... So many of those businesses at the time were like mixed use buildings where like the family lived upstairs and those would totally be landmarks, but I'm just going to leave that little diatribe <laughs> in my mind. Board games are <laughs> <or> abstractions. <laughs> yeah, you can't can't dig too deep into that, but it's but true. yeah. Um I I personally think that going forward and I'm not a big I'm not a generally not a big fan of house rules, but I I personally feel that playing this in the future I will add on some sort of benefit for money. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to be, whether it's like one point for every seven money or... There is that. Um, I think it does give you one point for every 10 money. No, no it doesn't. No. No, there's a variant that's on Board Game Geek that talks about doing that. One point for every seven or mm-hmm. 10 money and then some additional points if you have the the Highest most income. income. Yeah. yeah. I see. And you get your income one more time. And I, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but... Definitely, I'm going to add something like that in because I just, I, I personally think I, I, I want to have a benefit for keeping track of that at the end, of, you know, in those final kind of quarter of the game. Um, we haven't talked about bird watching at all. So one of the mechanics in this game is bird watching because apparently that's what you do in Cape May. And the way that it plays out in the game is basically if you just walk onto these certain spaces, you get to take a bird token uh, randomly from the bag and you are hoping to draw a diverse array of bird tokens the the more diverse the more points and it could be a a ton of points yeah well the thing that we've found and in our in our limited number of plays is that the person who plays birds is the winner yeah yeah (laughs) that's that has been true (laughs) so i really like the mechanic of the the birds and the board because it's this extra little puzzle where if you end your movement on a bird spot, you gain the bird and you, you're gaining points. At least one point for every bird, but potentially a ton if it's the right bird. But in general, the bird watching spots are really bad for building. Um, I think in general, they're not adjacent to buildings for the most part. And so that means you kind of have to have an inefficient move landing on a bird spot, but then you gain this other perk. Now, I did not take a single bird in our in the one time that I played this game and I watched Anastasia take it felt like dozens. I know it wasn't actually dozens. <laughs> it just seemed like every other action Anastasia was getting a bird. And I think it's partly because you were playing the board well, like that mini game of landing on the spots, but also you played um extra bonuses and whatnot. There were just other ways you managed to squeeze out more birds. And some of those let you actually choose, right? Like you get a random bird when you land on the spot on the board, but there are ways to like draw two, choose one, draw three, choose one. Isn't that right? I think there was. We t- I talked briefly about how uh, when you upgrade a shop into a business, you can. there's this other element of taking cards. That's right. And the there is a card that allows you to do that. And There's a couple and, of yeah, those, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you can stitch those together to help your, your diverse array of bird watching. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, we haven't talked about the end game bonus cards yet, but essentially you, you, you draw several bonus cards, you get to pick two at the start of the game, and they reward you for doing different things. And one of them, or a couple of them, at least the one I had in that game, rewarded me for bird watching. And I was actually really excited because I was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm just going to go around this board. I'm not going to really build stuff, which is, again, why I wasn't really paying attention to the majority. I was just kind of building because I knew I needed to build because I was so busy trying to collect birds. And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pure luck. And I guess if you played it and you got frustrated, I'm sure if I, if I had drawn five birds of the same type i would have been really annoyed but there's like nine different birds or i don't know seven different birds lots so there's lots of birds to pick from and frankly this is also true of the game i played in person with my friend like we just we were like 
birds. Like it was just like, it was just fun. We were just like, we were so excited to go bird watching, which is just sticking your hand in a bag and pulling out a random bird. But like, <laughs> I don't know. They're beautiful bird like tokens. They're beautiful. Know, they, there's endorphins yeah. there with it's, it's kind of you know, taps into the gambling to a certain extent, you know, crank the handle and, and see what you get. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it's always going to be a minimum of one point, I suppose. Uh, I kind of regretted not going birds, like not taking a single bird the entire game uh, because, well, I mean, you crushed me. <laughs> you won by a lot. So when we did final scoring, I was like, oh, my gosh, I should have gone birds. Um, but, you know, our data. But that was total luck, right? Like I had a I had a full set of them. But but this much randomness is tends not to be your thing, Nick. I mean, the randomness of the birds is is whatever I think is appropriate for a game of, of this like weight and style. Um I just I'm I'm I'd have to play it more really to like weigh in for for serious. I'm worried that the birds are are too strong. The thing that I uh like about the birds is uh, if you're broke, it's very difficult to do anything in this game. So you can go bird watching instead, and I think that that's that's cool. <laughs> and it's actually yeah, you something can, like, to set do. Up something. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's entirely true, right? Like if you're on vacation buying houses or whatever, um, go <laughs> go watch some birds if you don't have any money in hand. <laughs> I like how it's like the theme is deeply integrated. Just don't look too closely. <laughs> Am I wrong? Or is there one spot on the board where you can draw two birds when you land there? Yeah, there is. Yeah. yeah. So I remember like that over because in, a corner. in that one play, Anastasia, you landed there at least two times, if not three. So like that was, again, your mini game. You just kept. I think that spot's a problem. You kept landing yeah. on that double bird spot. And it was like, wow, you just like loop it around the block <laughs> and probably. Well, and it, there well. are these like one way streets in the game, which yes. is sort of interesting. That kind of limits your movement, which uh, I have some there. There's some spots where it's like a little unclear if you can move this way or this way or whatever. But but yeah, you can just keep kind of looping this block and. Nick's right. It's a double bird spot, but not only that, around that same area, I think, is some spots where you can also double build, right? So it, where your spots are connected to spaces that you're adjacent to. And so th that corner, I think, seemed like, must have at some point in playtesting seemed like a lame corner, but it's actually quite powerful. Or maybe that's just where they had the bird watching fair in real life. Because, you know, there is a lot of theme. Uh, like, like, they're definitely trying to bring the theme <laughs> of the game into, into this play. I want to actually take us over to something else, which is, so, you know, we've talked a little bit about buying these buildings and, and this, this map, but another kind of critique that I have of the game is actually the way you keep track of the prices in this game. So, so we've talked about the areas and we talked about the, all the types of buildings. Well, each type of building and the ability to upgrade it costs an amount and based on each area it costs a different amount so to keep track of all of this they give you this very helpful reference sheet that you're re that you have to reference but you are constantly referencing it and the prices are not as intuitive as you'd hope they'd be because not only is there the prices on it there's also the amount of income that you're going to get so i ran into this problem when i was playing it with my friend where they were like they were getting confused. Is this how much it costs or is this how much income I get? Or do I get this like as a kickback when I buy this? But not only that, keeping track of, am I in the gravel? Am I in the sand? Am I in the dirt? It's a lot of back and forth. And I got to say that like, I do wish, I'm sure it would have not made this map look nearly as pretty on the board. But I really wish they had just put the cost for each spot on the board. Like to the point where like, I've considered like, 100%. do i just write them on there like just like is there a creative way to do that that's not super ugly because it's just that back and forth i thought it'd be better in person because it was hard enough on tts but it's not it's just it's just confusing and i i do wish that that was cleaner yeah i mean i just, I just totally agree with you <laughs> nothing to add <laughs> great great <laughs> I think one of the last kind of like hanging things to talk about here is um, the turn order mechanism in this game. It's actually a lot less about it being the turn order mechanism in Cape May and the this design existing in a lot of games. So the idea in this game or the way the turn order works is if I'm the first player on this round, then Anastasia will be the first player on the next round and then John will be the first player on the round after that. And I can see why they do this. They do this in a lot of games It's because it's more fair to rotate who's going first and, and i get that but it leads to these really awkward exchanges especially in a two-player game 
where you end up having like a glut of actions or a period of time where you're not doing anything. In a four-player game, if you are the first player, you take your three actions, every other player is going to take their three actions that round, you're going to go pass the round, and then every other player again is going to take another three actions, and then it's back to your turn. So in a four-player game, 36 things have happened between your two turns. <laughs> and I, again, I get why they rotate the first player for fairness, but I actually think in a game of this weight, just having the same first player and just rotating around the board like settlers of Catan, it's just like it's your turn it's your turn it's your turn it's your turn would just be a lot cleaner yeah yeah Yeah, i I totally agree in the in this game and i I don't i don't mind that like back 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 and forth i don't even mind snake snake turn orders usually but in this game especially two player like it, it gets really confusing passing that first player marker back and forth and and you are essentially then just taking six actions broken up by an event and it's just it it feels really clunky just to kind of like be like, okay, wait, it's your turn. And then you're going to have to do six things. And then you're gonna have to wait for me to figure out what I'm doing. Like, I I just wish there's a lot to think about. So I just wish that like you said, Nick, it was just a more fluid, like my turn, your turn, my turn. I just think the game would play smoother. Um, I might try it next time I play it, but <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I remember in uh, the one play that we had in the second to last round, Nick, you were the, the first player and so you took your turn and then you just left because you were then going to take the last action of the game uh, right. because then we moved into the final <laughs> act. And so you, you just you had to use the restroom or something and you just you just left for a little bit and it was fine. Like it worked out, but it was just like, OK, you're, you're done for for a little while. And, and like you said, like it is kind of like a weird pseudo snake and it doesn't feel like that at first. Like it was like. I think we were in the second round when we were just like, wait, this is kind of weird. And I looked at the rule book to make sure that I wasn't getting it wrong. And I've seen this in other games as well. And I've had the same weirdness in other games as well. And I agree. I just kind of wish it was always clockwise and there was some other mechanical incentive or disincentive to maybe even out any sort of early or late advantage or, or issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the last thing that I want to bring up before we wrap up is just that we, you know, we talked a lot about you know, event deck and the activity cards and, you know, there's these upgrade cards and even your end game bonus cards. There's a lot of cards in this game. But I do want to point out that there's quite a bit of randomness slash variety uh, in the decks, which is a good thing for variability. But it also can mean, I think, that you may just pick up cards that don't seem as cool as as something else that, that someone else has. And I actually think that this is kind of the weight of game where, honestly... I'd kind of encourage you just draw more pick, pick maybe not as you're playing, but like end game bonus cards, just go through them and pick some that are fun. Like it's, it's definitely that kind of game where you could just have fun with it. You don't have to like adhere super strictly. Like when I was playing with my friend, I know that they, they did some of the income wrong and we just went with it. Like I just didn't <laughs> point it out because it's not that type of game. Like it's just that that's what I really enjoyed about it. And I guess this is kind of my wrap up thoughts is like, I just, I just, it's just a breezy play. It, sure, it's got some flaws and there's some rough edges and maybe a couple of things could have been lifted out, but it's just like, it's a it's a nice real game that has a, like a nice casual vibe to it. And I, and I like that quite a bit about it. Yeah, I, I think I've been thinking about that a decent amount as well in that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I expected to going into my one play. Again, I played it less than both of you did. But I, I just thought it was kind of a, a cool movement puzzle. I, a lot of things were working together in a concerted way to make for some pretty compelling decisions. Um, I might have been a bit of a, a bit pet peeved about to the uh, area majorities, but it didn't sour my overall experience on it at all. And also, you know, it just felt kind of new to me in a way. And I, I don't know, it just lo- looping back to like the very first thing I said in this episode, the map really jumped out to me with these one-way roads and these little mazy little paths working your way around, almost like flowing water <laughs> to a certain extent. And I just haven't played that many games like this. And may- maybe there's a bunch and I'm just not experienced with it, but um, that felt kind of fresh, kind of cool. And, and and I totally agree with you, Anastasia. It just had a, a breezy, fun vibe to it. it. It didn't feel cutthroat. I'm sure you could play super cutthroat Kate May if you wanted to, but it, it definitely seemed like it was more fun if you lean back in your chair instead of lean forward and then, you know, maybe 
bask in the uh, art on your your little birds and just like enjoy it for the overall experience. Even though like the uh, the board game critic in me might you know see certain things and like wish certain things are different. At the same time, I just like well, I had fun. <laughs> yeah, and you're keeping 100%. it right. That's actually high praise. Because I know that yeah, you, the... <laughs> do, games, games. games get punted out I your do. door. I do. It, it fits a unique space in my collection. I yeah. don't have a lot of games like this that are heavier than, you know, gateways. And, and but I still feel like I could bring to a night of, a, you know, a couple of non-gamers and, and play, but still feel like we're playing, you know, a, a, I keep calling it a real board game. That I love Ticket to Ride. I don't. I don't mean to sound disparity. We're still playing like a like a euro, like a like a, a euro with a lot of cool little things going on. Like like Nick explained it perfectly about his dad. It's enough for me to sink my teeth into, but bring to a night of of non gamers. Yeah, when it comes to judging a book by its cover, I definitely did not judge this this book well <laughs> when we first put it out. And John went through the rules teach, and I was like, uh huh. Uh, and then we started playing it. Actually, was like uh, a, a lot. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected I would, which was was really cool. I do just really wish though that it was, you know, to your point, Anastasia, you called it breezy. I wish it was breezier. I would love to cut out like just the stuff, like the the area majorities, the the end game bonus cards, some of the some of the extra little spaces and doodads. Um, I find those things to be vestigial to like what's the core part of the game, but that's just my preference, I think. No, no, I think that's a that's a really good point. But then I wonder, would it still be that kind of heavier than light medium weight game? Would it still fit that sort of unique space if you took all that stuff out? I, I think it would be. I think the fact, like for instance, the area majorities that you didn't pay attention to them, and then it, like <laughs> like is a perfect example of like that didn't take anything away from your experience at all. Um, I think that like activity cards, right? Like what they do is give you more powers, but uh, without them, you would have more restrictions, which requires you to play smarter. Uh, so I think that it would. I think that it would still sit there. Mm, yeah. Well, I think that's going to bring this one to a close. I think we've uh, we've all said our piece about Kate May. Um, if you have any thoughts about this game, if you've played it, or maybe you just are curious to to throw some questions around, we'd love to see comments about it. Um, there's a YouTube version of this episode. You can find a link to that description of the podcast. Um, feel free to leave comments there. Um, uh, tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> or uh, maybe just tell us, you know, if there's some part of this game that we, we maybe didn't highlight or just didn't really give as much credit as it maybe could have had. Uh, either way, we love getting feedback. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>